You're listening to Dragon Ore, book three of the Dawning of Power trilogy, written and read by Brian Rathbone. Thank you for listening. Chapter 20 The sum of our lives can be judged only by what we leave behind. Our legacy. Fetticus Iliani, historian. Hiking along the wide trail that had been created to get the Great Oaks to Lowerton, Katrin prepared herself for meditation. Pulling her layers of clothing tighter, she tried to clear her mind as much as she could, but she was easily distracted. Knowing Chase was following her didn't help. He made no mistakes, and she had no reason to believe he was really there, except a strong feeling, but that was enough for her. The feeling of his presence was so strong, she kept expecting him to walk out of the trees. When the trail opened into the meadow, Katrin was transformed, transported back to the first time she'd entered the hallowed grove. She saw the trees as they were then, and she could still feel their energy and that of the stone. Perhaps she had not utterly destroyed the grove after all. Perhaps some energy remained, dormant, waiting. As she approached the stumps and grisly remains, she winced, but the energy drew her on. A few mighty trunks still lay where they had fallen, as if waiting for some use to present itself. When she reached the center of the black stone, she realized it did not look as terrible as when she had seen it last. Wind and rain had cleaned away the powdery grit, and now the black stone, though pocked, had begun to regain some of its luster. Sitting with a crater between her crossed legs, she dug the tip of her staff into the stone. Holding her staff in one hand and co in the other, she closed her eyes and relaxed. In her mind, she traveled to the grove of the past and located the visual representation of her center amid the mighty great oaks. Suffused by the energy around her, Katrin could feel the trees. She could see them and touch them. To her, they were still real, still alive. As she leaned forward, she had the strange sensation of moving downward, as if her staff were sinking into the stone. She kept her eyes closed, not wanting to leave her state of consciousness. Dryads peeked around each of the trees in her mind, and they sang to her. There were no words, only melodies but they were rich and delicate, like the tinkling of a fine bell over the sound of pounding surf, backed by the whisper of the wind through leaves. Birds sang their varied songs, somehow in harmony with the dryads, as if nature itself were playing a chorus. A feeling of security enveloped her, and she was washed with the relief of tension she hadn't even known she'd been holding on to. No one could harm her. She was safe. It was not something she could tell herself. Her body had to believe it before she could truly relax. The physical world vanished from her senses, supplanted by the world of energy and possibilities. For a time, Katrin simply bathed herself in its warmth. 
No concerns pulled at her focus. No worries drained her energy. Here, she was perfect. Slowly, she began to process her thoughts. As always, some were painful, others whimsical. She dealt with her feelings and emotions and was left with only questions of practicality. How would she convince people they needed to learn to live underground? History and Nat's vision agreed. There had already been times when man had to retreat within the land, and Katrin knew she must succeed. Though she thought she had cleared her mind and dealt with all her worries, an ugly, gnawing fear rose to the surface. Prios. Already she had feelings for him, and she suspected he felt much the same, but she had promised herself. After using her powers to heal herself, she'd sworn she'd never have children. How could she take away from Prios the ability to pass on his line? How could she ever explain to him? Would he understand? Suddenly, her calm and relaxing place became a maelstrom of anxiety. Then, something which felt like being tucked in by one you love washed over her and brought calm. Everything would be as it should. She now knew what she must do. With the course charted, she felt the anxiety drain away as if it had never been. The decision put her in a receptive frame of mind, and images began to spring forth, seemingly from nothingness. She saw a great hall and an underground complex capable of supporting thousands. Instead of a spooky and forbidding place, she began to see it as a thriving microcosm a miniature ecosystem tucked inside the safety of a mountain. No longer was the hidden lake little more than a curiosity to her. It was a place where they could stock fish. She pictured underground farms fed water and fertilizer from the lake. The vision of her new home gave her great pride, though she had yet to do the work. She would. She knew she would. Seeing it here in this world of energy was as good as it being, and it brought tears to her eyes. Resolved, she felt herself relax even further, and it felt as if, once again, her staff sank lower into the stone. Deep, rhythmic breathing propelled her from one moment to the next, and finally her mind was quiet, free of conflict. The sound of nature took on new layers and beauty as it rose to a thrilling crescendo, and Katrin let herself ride the enchanting melody. The feeling she was being watched made her look about, and not far away she saw the mental wall that separated her conscious and subconscious minds. Light streamed through the hole, which was now significantly larger, and for a moment Katrin became alarmed. Then, from behind a mighty great oak, stepped what looked like a goddess in the flesh. You are ready now. Who are you? Katrin asked, terrified because she already knew the answer. I am you. I am Katrin. Perhaps, to avoid confusion, you would like to call me Elma? Her alternate self asked with a knowing smile. Katrin's fear was overcome, 
finding humor and ease in its place. All right, Elma, I have been afraid of you because I don't want to go insane and hurt anyone. And there is something else. I know, Elma said. I cannot tell you what mysteries lie ahead, for I do not know. But I can assure you that I will do no harm. History does not always repeat its mistakes. If you do not trust life, then your line is condemned either way. Whether you choose to have children whose own children might die terrible deaths, or if you decide the risk of passing on a deadly trait is too great, the result will be the same. Only if you give life an opportunity will there be a chance. Elma's cold but practical logic penetrated Katrin's mind, and she came to see the truth in it. You are ready now. Ready for what? Sherlafauna gave you a gift. It was left in my keeping, and now I present it to you. You are ready. I remember Sherlafauna's gift. After I talked with her, I could see the other dryads. Elma laughed. That gift you gave yourself. You took a great risk when you chose to believe. Seeing the dryads was a reward you made for yourself. Katrin sat in wonder, waiting with unbridled anticipation, as Elma approached. In her hands, she held a globe of orange light that pulsed from within. Holding it to Katrin's forehead, Elma pressed it with her delicate fingers, and the globe began to slide forward. Warmth and understanding flowed through Katrin. The globe entered her and became a part of her, albeit a part she was yet to comprehend. Her staff thrummed under her fingers, and a wave of power washed over her. Invigorated and charged, Katrin felt as if she were being made anew. We must prepare now, Elma said, and Katrin did not have to ask for what. Visions filled her mind, images of death and destruction for all mankind. We cannot let this happen. Katrin nodded, and as she did, Elma walked between the great oaks and gradually faded until she could be seen no more. Slowly, Katrin's awareness of her physical body returned, and she opened her eyes only to find near complete darkness. Only the blush of the false dawn gave any hint of shape or form. But then the sun peeked over the mountains. Fingers of light caressed the land, and Katrin felt the warmth on her face. Around her the world sang of a new day, a new chance for life. When she focused closer, finally seeing the staff before her and the serpentine tail wrapped around her, she gasped. Kyrian met her eyes as she craned her neck to see. His eyes sparkled with inner light and excitement, and he nudged her back to the staff. There she found a treasure beyond any reckoning or expectation. Sherlafauna's gift was in the form of life. From the staff sprouted fresh green growth, and under each voluminous leaf was a tiny golden acorn. Twenty-four in all, 
there were enough to replant the entire grove. Katrin's heart sang. The fates had been kind to her, allowing her the chance to undo one of her greatest mistakes. In that moment, she thought of Barabbas. His last action had been to prevent her death. He had sacrificed his life so she could live, so she could behold the beauty of a new day. She remembered all her fallen friends, all those who had helped her, despite the dangers, and had paid the ultimate price. She remembered what they all had done, and she loved them for it. Epilogue At the center of the new grove, Nat stood stupefied. Never had he imagined such a thing. In the center of the stone, Katrin's staff, the staff his family had guarded for generations, stood, embedded in the rock itself, and it bloomed. It produced no more acorns, only flowering buds of purple and blue, but it lived and grew. Shrouded by branches, leaves, and flowers, the shaft was barely visible. Nat had to get down on his knees and peer under the growth to see the shaft, and the steely gaze of the dragon met him, its gemmed eyes pulsing with an inner glow. Protruding from the heel, the wooden shaft looked more lustrous than ever, though it seemed no larger than he remembered it. Evenly spaced, the new great oaks grew, lean and straight. It would take thousands of years for the mighty leviathans to gain their predecessor's majesty, but the process had begun, and now it was a task only time could achieve. To know that some future generation would come here and see great oaks that had sprung from the staff his father had given into his care all those years ago gave Nat an immense feeling of accomplishment, along with gratitude to Katrin. Nina stood in awe of everything she witnessed on the Godfist. Nat had wanted to protect her from the rest of the world, to allow her to live a simpler life among the Gunata. But civilization encroached on the lands held by native peoples, and no longer were the Gunata innocent or ignorant. It was Nina who convinced him to come back to the Godfist because she feared for his life. Now they were here, and he wondered what he could do. How next would unexpected events overturn his world? She's ready, Fasha said. Benjen wasn't certain if she was referring to the dragon's wing or Gwen. At five years old, his daughter was a roaring terror, wrapped in innocence. One look from her big blue eyes melted his heart. He was helpless. Running his hands over the polished wood, he looked for imperfections, trying to decide if they needed another coat of sealer and a few more weeks of polishing before making their sea trials. She's ready, Fasha insisted. Still, Benjen made one final inspection of the dragon's wing. Carved from a single great oak, it was like no other ship on all of Godsland, 
While Fasha and Katrin had been pregnant, Benjen and Prios had worked, carving the masthead, which extended back along the sides of the ship. Modeled after Kyrian, the ship looked as if it were flying, even as it sat in dry dock. For a moment, Benjen stopped to revel in his new life. Letting go of Katrin had been difficult, but he knew Prios would take good care of her. It was on their wedding day that Benjen's life forever changed. With tears in her eyes, Fasha had asked him to marry her. She asked him. He still couldn't believe it. For weeks he'd been trying to find the words to ask her, all the while helping to organize Prios and Katrin's wedding. He'd been afraid of somehow making Katrin's day less special and never found the right moment to ask. Fasha had chosen the moment, and he loved her for it. Katrin's wedding day was filled with tears of joy. The ceremony touched everyone who attended. Later, when Benjamin was asked to speak, he could no longer contain his news, and though he was terrified, he announced his engagement to Fasha. The celebration that followed was one he would never forget. Are we ready, Daddy? Can we go now? Mama says I'm going to love the sea. Can we go now, Daddy? Can we? Please? The last question was punctuated by one of Gwen's most practiced and effective looks. Yes, we can go now. Benjen gave the order, and horses were brought in. Hooked to thick lines that ran through a massive pulley, the horses pulled. Unlike ships built from many pieces, the dragon was a hull. She didn't creak or moan as she slipped along the guide planks. She entered the water with what sounded like a sigh of relief. In the water, she looked much different than Benjen had imagined. Her wingtips, though close and tight to the ship, soared just above the waterline, making the ship look vulnerable where Benjen knew it was strong. Using Brother Vaughn as his voice, Prios often joked that the carving they did made the wood stronger, as if they were peeling away the bits that were hiding its true form. Looking at it now, Benjen couldn't believe he'd been a part of creating it. Fasha, my wife, Benjen said as he wrapped her in his arms. I love you, and I think you should be the captain of this ship. I'll need a cook, she said, and they both laughed. Gwen charged by at full speed. Can we leave now? she asked without slowing. Together, Benjen and Fasha raised the sails and let the wind drive the dragon's wing for the first time. Without a sound, save for the flap of canvas, she sliced through the water. Wait! a voice carried over the water. Hey! Wait for me! A loud splash followed, and Benjen turned to look. Then he just shook his head and laughed. He'd forgotten that he promised Jessup he could come along on the maiden voyage. Every few days the boy would show up and check on their progress, and he must have known they were getting close. Now he swam toward them. Fasha slowed the ship as they waited for Jessup. 
Ben Jin dropped the boarding net over the side, never having expected to use it so soon. Up you go, he said as he pulled a soaked and exhausted Jessup aboard. You were going to leave without me, Jessup accused. It's my fault, Fasha said as she threw Jessup a towel. I convinced him to sail today. I should have told him to wait for you. Yes, ma'am, he said, and Benjamin barely contained his laughter. For all his energy and bravado, Jessup feared Fasha's wrath more than anything, which, Benjamin supposed, only showed that the boy had good sense. Come on, Jessup, Gwen demanded as she led him to the prow. Look, I'm flying, she said as she stuck her arms out to the sides. A moment later, she was bathed in shadow. Kyrian soared low over the prow, just above Gwen and Jessup. Wow, Jessup said, his jaw hanging slack. We're flying, Gwen said. Benjin watched in amazement, hoping the likeness would not offend Kyrian. Unlike the tales of dragon riders, Katrin had no control over Kyrian. He was a free creature, and he went only where he chose. It was a fact that Benjamin knew bothered Katrin and terrified others, but there seemed no way to change the dragon. In truth, Benjamin liked him just as he was. As if to show his approval, Kyrian rested his chin on the carved image of his head and flew with his eyes closed, letting the motion of the ship guide him. Benjamin watched in amazement. A moment later, Kyrian trumpeted and tipped his wings. Soaring high into the sky, he disappeared from sight. In deep water, Fasha raised more sail, and the dragon's wing flew across the water. Free. The watering hole bustled with activity, and Miss Maris carried platters laden with food between the many crowded tables. Warm weather had blessed them with record crops, and finally their livestock were plentiful again. Children were born, and the towns of Lowerton and Upperton grew faster than anyone could have imagined. Martik's marvel of engineering made farming possible in otherwise impossible places, and it seemed starvation was no longer a threat. One of the guests yelled for Miss Maris, and she turned. Prios stood near the doorway, his slate in hand. Sinjin, it said. That boy best not be in my kitchens again. He'll lead us all back into starvation, Miss Maris said before she stormed into the kitchen. From behind a cutting block, a small hand reached up and grabbed three pieces of bacon. You'd best get out of my kitchen, boy. With a guilty smile, he darted from the kitchen. Miss Maris chased him out with a broom, but she was not fast enough to catch him. Pryo stood shaking his head as Sinjin darted out the doors and ran down the streets, eating his bacon without slowing. Do you really think we are going to discover anything? Strom asked Osborne as they hauled more sand through the halls. Who knows, Osborne said. 
Milo said if we look hard enough, we're bound to find something. All I know is we've been through at least 50 bags of sand already, and I'm getting tired of carrying them. Me too. As they returned to the mighty hall where Katrin conducted her experiments, Milo pulled a crucible from the furnace and began to pour it into the mold. Strom watched as Katrin waited for the exact right moment to insert the sliver of dragon ore. She looked older, as if the weight of her responsibilities had aged her more quickly than the rest. Still, there was strength about her, and determination. She never gave up on one of her ideas. At most, one might be set aside for further contemplation. Strom wondered what it was that made her so sure things were going to go badly in the future. Things were going so well, he thought perhaps they should all take some time to enjoy themselves. Instead, he was hauling sand to the furnace. Osborne gasped beside him, and Strom watched. Each time she had tried, Katrin had produced a brilliant light that lasted only a few breaths. But this time... As the molten glass captured the charged sliver in its embrace, a warm, steady glow radiated from it. Even as it cooled, the light continued to shine. No one spoke for a long time until the glass was cool enough to touch. Katrin picked it up in her hand and smiled. Sometimes the smallest things can make the biggest difference. Hi everybody, Brian Rathbone here. Wow, it's hard to believe that we've reached the end of the Dawning of Power trilogy. It's been a lot of fun putting the series out in audio form, and I'd like to thank everyone for the ratings, feedback, and all of your support along the way. There will be more to come. Feel free to drop me a note. I'm brian at brianrathbone.com, or you can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter ID is brianrathbone, with no spaces. The World of Godsland series will continue, and I've got some other projects I'll be working on as well. Keep an eye on brianrathbone.com for more information. Thanks again to all of you, and please, tell a friend. Bye for now.